you could have more fulfillment and ease in your professional and personal life and still be ambitious. Join me, Kathy Onetto, founder of Sustainable Ambition, for conversations with experts, authors, and friends on what it means to live with sustainable ambition. Learn concepts, tips, and tools to craft a fulfilling career on your terms while still being ambitious and avoiding burnout. For show notes from this episode, visit sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Now, let's learn more to help you craft your career to support your life from decade to decade. On to today's conversation. Welcome back, everyone. I'm so excited to be joined by Heather Ainsworth both a good friend and expert in the area of work-life integration and creating workplaces that support caregivers. I know we're gonna learn a lot of great information from Heather in this conversation. So thanks for being with me, Heather. Oh, I was so happy that you asked. Thanks so much, Kathy. Yeah. So before we get started, let me first introduce you to Heather. So Heather Ainsworth is the CEO and founder of Workable Concept. She has been on the front lines of building caregiver-friendly workplaces for over 20 years. She created the client services team for the employer-sponsored child care division of Knowledge Learning Corporation, now Kinder Care Education at Work, where her team managed child care benefit solutions for Fortune 1000 employers. As a member of the global senior leadership team at Intrax, Heather managed au pair care to become one of the largest au pair agencies in the U.S. To pursue her passion for the intersection of caregiving and gender equity in the workplace, she served as Chief Operating Officer of the Representation Project, a national nonprofit dedicated to reducing the threat of gender stereotypes. Heather currently works with a range of clients such as the AARP, serves as an advisor, and is a speaker at conferences on this topic and some of what we're gonna talk about today. She holds an AB from Duke and an MBA from Stanford Graduate School of Business, and she lives in the San Francisco Bay Area with her husband and two kids. Mm-hmm. So thank you again, Heather, for being here. And before we talk about Workable Concept and your expertise there, I'd love to talk with you about your own career and how you've made choices at different stages. And We'll see if I'm right about this, but my sense is that (laughs) you've approached your career uh, in very much almost a way that I at least see um, aligned to sustainable ambition. So for example, from an outsider's perspective, I see your career as a unique one in that you're someone who I've always admired because I believe you've been quite thoughtful about where you work. And it seems like you've been driven by your own definition of success and wanting to find purpose or wanting to have a bigger impact in the world. Is there some truth to that? And, you know, kind of embedded in that is I'm wondering, like, has there been kind of a touchstone you've used as you've kind of guided your career? Um, There's a lot of truth to it. And I will say, even though that's the the core kernel of, uh, of truth, there are days where I think, well, that was, that was a really great decisions. I have no regrets. And other times where I'm like, Oh my God, I could have retired at 45 times over. Why didn't I do some of the other things? Um, but I think that, um, I think the touchstone, although I would definitely re- refer to myself as like a recovering Catholic and sort of active Episcopalian, I was in Catholic school for my almost my whole academic career. 
uh, other than like hippie, truly hippie preschool. Um, and the idea that like you have one life and you need to be of service to people around you, that's the part that I like held on to from that part of my upbringing. And that's actually what's guided each uh, each decision that I've made. Who I'm in service to changes over time. And whether that's like somebody I know, somebody I'm married to, somebody I'm a parent or a daughter or a sister or a friend, like it, it's a broader thing, but it's always about being interconnected and creating something of inherent value, hopefully, and paying my bills too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, and I want to come back to um, in just a little bit what you were saying in terms of those trade-offs, like what did I learn and what maybe might you have done differently? But first, I'm curious when you think about success around your career, how would you define that? Gosh, I feel like I should have a really good answer for that. I, I mean, success around my career is that I feel like I am creating, like using my talents in a way that creates value for other people to be able to live to their full potential, whatever that looks like for them. So it has looked like all sorts of different things over the past, you know, 20 or 30 years of, of working, but it also means doing it in a way that feels balanced and sustainable within kind of about a like 18 month window. Like not every week is going to be balanced. Not every, I mean, I've definitely, you've seen me, there have been times where I'm like working so hard, I'm cracking. I think you've put me back together a couple of times very well. Um, but to be honest, I mean, just to be really blunt, uh, very early in my career, um, I experienced a, um, a personal tragedy quite close in of a high school friend who, uh, who was murdered. And, um, from that moment when I was like 24, I was like, oh my God, I don't have the luxury. Nobody has the luxury of saying, I'm going to work on my career for 20 years, then enjoy my family. Right. And so I, or like, I'm going to go make money and then I'm going to go spend it and use it wisely. And so I think that if there's anything positive that came out of that entire scenario. It's that like right at the formative start of my real career time at like 24, 25, I was thinking, I'm not going to do something that's not what I, how I would have wanted to spend my time if my time ends abruptly. I don't mean it to sound so morbid, but it was really a formative, you can be out of whack for a while, but like not too long. Right. It was a formative value for you. I mean, obviously that's a tragic situation and something that's going to impact you pretty deeply. And it takes me back to exactly what you kind of shared earlier. It, it, gives, it gives us more insight into what you shared, which is, oh, why didn't I just go ahead and go and earn a bunch of money and then so that I could perhaps retire early, say. And I'm curious, right. as, right. You, as you look <laughs> back now and you've had a couple of decades, sorry for both of us to admit, a couple decades of sure. work under your belt. Yeah. What do you know now that, you know, when you look back, would you have done anything differently? Sure. 
Yeah, of course. Yeah, I would have. I mean, I'm so proud of the decisions that I made, but I still question them. Right before my 15th business school reunion, I think I had just quit a job, was about to go back to consulting, and I had this little meltdown. I was like, I can't go to my reunion. I'm not doing anything. And my husband, who you know, you know from business school, is like, what are you talking about? And I like made like an emergency appointment with the free career counselor available from Stanford GSB and sat with her. And I was like, give me the most analytic career counselor you have. And she had me doing spreadsheets. And then she just stopped. And she's like, Heather, you don't need me. Every single decision you've made has been values-based. There can be no regret about living a values-based life. I make my money and pay my mortgage based on people who've never done that and now have big, fancy, expensive lives, and they don't know why or what to do with it. She's like, go. <laughs> and it was um, actually pissed me off in the moment because I was like, yeah, but what am I going to say on Sunday at brunch when people say, what are you doing now? I don't have that answer. And be on reflection was one of the best things for me ever to have heard. I think um, the things that I would change are I, there's more room to take risk, uh, even in that frame of like, hey, like within 18 months, like make sure you're feeling pretty good about all the different pieces and, and how heavily you held each piece of life. Um, but like, I think I, as a newlywed specifically made a couple decisions where I was like, I do not want to be traveling every week as a consultant, even if I knew professionally, it was going to be like really valuable drinking from a fire hose, right? I was a total poet in business school. So like a couple years of, um, consulting and, and they were very confused when I turned that offer down, uh, because it came with a tuition refund of both years of tuition, which, you know, as a poet coming into business school is not like pocket money. Uh, and, on, and then a different point, uh, you know, I was um, in conversation about joining Google very early, like maybe 2002. Um, and I didn't want to do it because I thought I'd never see Mark because it was long hours and it was a commute from San Francisco, northern part of San Francisco, down to Mountain View. And I was like, I do not want that life. I want to have dinner with my husband. And I'll be super frank. I didn't even talk to him about that. He would have been like, what? Go for it. We'll have dinner late. We'll call him. Whatever. It'll like try it for a couple of years. If you hate it, you can quit. Right. And so I didn't, um, I regret not telling my husband, here's what I'm assuming I'm going to do. So we have the life that I think I want us to have because he would have pushed me to be bigger. And I don't know what that would have led to. could have been interesting. doesn't mean I don't like what I have, but I played small. Mm. I, you, I just want to punctuate so many great things that you shared, Heather. I mean, one being that you living a values-based life is very rich and from my perspective, a, a great way to go. Um, so being people yeah. being clear on that, getting really clear on that and guiding their choices on that. The other piece is that, and I, I will come back to what you just said about being bigger, but I appreciate that you recognize that there are choices to be made and that 
you know, sometimes you do have to, there are trade-offs and just you were cognizant of those trade-offs and you were at least aware of them and what you were being presented with. And I, I also want to just share, I, I really appreciate the fact that you're just being vulnerable and admitting how you felt before you went to your business school reunion, because many of us have been there and it's so interesting, probably even the people with what we might say, quote, big careers felt a little bit of the same, or they might've felt embarrassed by some other aspect of their life perhaps. But I, I mean, I think one of the things that you ended with too, was just this idea of pushing to be bigger and, and taking risks. And I know you have a partner who supports you in that. So it's interesting, this insight that you're saying that perhaps you, you you perhaps have played big in the aligning to values and having impact on people, but you're sensing right. that you might have played small in other areas and that you also could have perhaps leaned on your partner to support you in so many ways, as I know he likely would. Absolutely. I think I I didn't trust the unknown in, in these decisions. It never... Um, I, I forgot that like you can go into a, an opportunity, particularly professionally, and then shape it to be what you want it to be. And that part of doing that well is saying like, I'm going to choose an organization where they're growing a lot. And so I can help shape that growth rather than it's much harder when you're like running a big cash cow business to be like, okay, now I want to like shift my responsibility. And they're like, no, no, just keep making the money, please. Right? Like this is what your job is. So I didn't, um, if I kind of am a little bit more like one level up from it, if anything, I, the thing I regret is that in business school, I was sort of so afraid people were, somebody was going to realize that like, it was a mistake that I was there. I was like, I literally came from a documentary production company when people, I joke, but it's true. It took me until like second semester of the first year to rewire my brain to be like, equity means ownership stake, not equity, equity. Like uh, that I, I was so afraid of somebody's going to find me out, which actually, I mean, is pretty obvious to everybody around me. It wasn't like I needed to be discovered as a misfit, a happily misfit. Uh, I didn't, I didn't like go talk to enough people. I didn't craft um, like my personal board of, of directors, right? It hit me when, I think it was 10 years ago, our family went to hear Neil deGrasse Tyson, who I love, and he was live. And somebody said, well, hey, how did you, how did you find role models? Like there, there weren't really African-American astrophysicists when you were a kid. Like how did, who did you look up to as role models? And he got pretty feisty and he was like, nobody needs a role model. Everybody needs like a set of role models. You say, I like this person's character in this way. I like this person's professional ambition in that way. I like how this person is as a manager. He said, that's what I had to do. But now I think that's actually what's best for everybody. And I didn't, um, I didn't get enough voices in my head when I was making early decisions in and right out of business school. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I'm curious then, Heather, like if you were to reflect back some advice for folks who are earlier in their career 
how you might articulate that. Because I think even what's interesting, knowing you and what you've done in other roles as you went into them, is you were actually a leader who was an advocate for shaping how a company could support your team in creating more work-life integration. Like I know Mm -hmm. you went into organizations and shaped that um, (laughs) and and successfully did so and frankly delivered really solid business results. And so it's interesting that you now reflect back and you say, I didn't have the vision for going into larger or other more structured organizations that I could do that, but then you did go and do it. it just, I'm curious then with that as hindsight, what advice might you give people? I think, I think the advice is like, always take the call, always have the conversation. You, you can talk about a job or talk with somebody who could potentially be a manager in the future, whatever, without knowing that you want it. It's not wasting their time. I think I was so conscious of like, well, I don't want to waste their time or my time. Like, I don't even think I want this. You don't know what you want until you get a sense of what's that working relationship going to be like? How does that person respond to your big ideas? And if you don't know that you want a job, that job in particular, like, what do you have to lose by kind of showing up and being your bold self? Like, imagine if that's who they fall in love with. I mean, I actually, as I say that I did, I have a history of doing that. When I applied to not know 17 year old to college, there was one application for a great school uh, that said like, how are you going to use our education? What are you going to do with the experience of having gotten to study here? And I wrote this totally snotty essay about like, this is the dumbest question ever. I am 17. I am coming out of a small all-girls school. Like, I don't even know what there is on offer. Like, that's your job. I'm going to go in and like eat at the buffet of everything you have and then figure out what I'll have for a second. Um, and my guidance counselor was like, uh, are you sure? And I was like, yes. Like, if they want me to know now, then this isn't my place. Um, And they wanted, I mean, I got in, which I I now probably as a parent would have a heart attack if my high schooler wrote that essay. Um, But I do think that we can, part of that is learning to be smaller, right? Like when I was 17, that was how I was wired. Why when I was 27, was I so different? I don't know. Just to punctuate, yes, we we often play big until we, you know, start to go into society and kind of get put into a box. But I also one of the things you're punctuating there, too, is how society expects us to know before we really know. And just to make you feel any better, Heather. I actually, that was my business school application. And it's shocking that I got in <laughs> to right, places I love it. having said that. Right? Oh, that makes me um, so, happy. <laughs> so it's like, how can you expect me to predict the future? I mean, come on. Um, but of course, I, right. I, I'm sure I would have gotten even into more places if I had admitted I, I want to be a C-suite you know, executive <laughs> somewhere. Exactly. So, so I, can, I can relate to what you're talking about. Um, One of the things I wanted to um, talk about a little bit that you mentioned, which I think is really important, which is 
In terms of when I think about sustainability, I think about pace and this idea that, you know, we're not really going for work-life balance. Like, I just feel like balance is the wrong term, which is so Mm -hmm. I think about like more work-life resilience. And I almost want to share with people like, Mm -hmm. let's just have a better expectation of reality of the fact that sometimes you're going to have to work hard. And then it's about figuring out how you structure your work and family life to support those periods. But then, like you said, how do you get more sustainability, if you will, across 18 months of time? So I'm I'm wondering if you can say a little bit more about that and how you see it. Um, First, I'm going to just like um, fess up to my inner curmudgeon, which is I've managed enough people in 30 years like when I talk about work-life integration or work-life resilience, this is not an excuse to say I never have to work harder than I feel like working. That's part of being in the working world. And I have like zero patience, which some of my direct reports have unfortunately seen when people are not expecting. There are still some dues to be paid, not all by one age or one gender or one type, but like, come on, like, unless you want to be completely self-employed, which I now am in part because I do not want to have a boss or be a boss at this particular phase in my life. um, You got to work hard. But I think that having um, a little bit of a process by which you check in with yourself and like, how is this feeling? what feels out of balance and then talking to someone, whether it's a roommate or a sibling or a partner or your parent, if you have that relationship, whoever it is, a mentor to say, this is what I want to rebalance. I need, I'm trying to make more time or carve out more, defend more energy for this part of my life experience. Um, it's like really small stuff, but if you do it consistently, it actually really matters, you know? And so um, I think I, that's what I would say are the main, are the main pieces. What I appreciate about that is I very much relate. So I'm exactly with you and it makes me feel better about my own curmudgeonness around this point. So no, but I, I appreciate that you are again, admitting that side or just giving people the really reallys because I have felt the same way and sometimes feel bad about that. And yet I very much support the idea of people having more integration Mm -hmm. in their work and life and finding time for themselves and being able to recharge and seeing them as a whole person. Uh, But I think I think we do ourselves a disservice when we think it's always going to be this Pollyanna kind of way of equal, equal between things or that you're never going to, um, Right. Get pulled by work. I think the other, I mean, a piece of that that I have always, um, I don't know what my teams would say, but that I've always tried as a leader and a manager is to say, like, look, I want all of us to have whole, healthy lives. I want us all to be ready to know that there are times where, like, the proverbial the fan gets hit. And, like, I will order takeout for us at 10 p.m. if we're still here. Sometimes you're going to still be here. But like, we can't have an agenda for what our colleagues or our team members are doing 
with that opportunity to integrate their life and their values and what they want to do with their time and the relationships they care about. Um, there's not like a pecking order of what merits a managerial level of support for work-life integration, right? And it's um, it's been, there have been some interesting conversations like, well, why does you get to leave every early, every once in a while to go surfing. And I can't, and I'm like, you, I don't, you go volunteer in your kid's school. And I like, I don't, why do you care if he's surfing? Bring some joy, right? Like you guys are still contributing to the same team in similar ways. And I think we need to, as a, as individuals, but also as in like structural levels, we need to kind of get over that. Yeah, I appreciate that. What I hear you describing in that is that there's mm -hmm. complexity in it. And we humans, most of us really don't mm -hmm. like complexity. Um, and I think around like this idea of fairness, we think it's uh, some of us are wired to see things as black and white, um, right. as opposed to there's areas of gray, or it's right. really about how, again, how do we give people more choice? And we're when we're operating with right. principles as opposed to right. these hard. I do though, just for people who are listening, just so that I I don't want to leave the wrong impression, right? Like when I last year was talking with the head of HR of a very um, a big tech company about how they think about caregiving support and benefits, and they literally were like we would love to do this, but I'm going to have, before I could roll it out, I have to figure out what we're going to do for our doggy parents as well. And I was like, I really want everybody to have a full life, but I also like our economy does not rest on whether people have free doggy daycare in the same way that it does. If we have high quality, affordable, accessible preschool, right? Like there are, there are differences, but uh, Maybe I'm maybe I'm contradicting myself. Life is complex. <laughs> I don't know. I think I think it's yeah. That's exactly. There's there's just complexity, and and it's working through those things. And I think to some degree, what I'm taking away, what you just hinted at, was like, don't let those complexities keep you from making progress on what's right for the overall. Mm -hmm community within your business, as well as, frankly, society, because right. what you're just speaking about is not just one company, but a societal economic impact, as well as quality of life for a society. Absolutely. So there's, there's a broader impact. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, one thing, um, just to switch, well, you're, you're starting to go here, but I was curious, it's interesting that you mentioned that you didn't take as many risks Yet I know you've also done some entrepreneurial ventures mm -hmm. in the past, and not just not just one either. And most re recently, you founded Workable Concept, and you made to you know your your it's your own company. And I was curious to understand better, like what made you decide to do this venture now at this point in your career? Oh, well, for one, uh, you know, I don't. I don't want to overstate this. It feels like it sort of feels like a like the work I've always been supposed to do is about how do you enable women to be fully engaged at work in the way that brings them joy and fulfillment and and how do you let men actually have a fair shake at being like truly equal partners um, at home and, and as parents. And I think some of that grows up 
uh, is anchored clearly in my experience of growing up essentially as the middle of three girls for um, my mom was a, a single parent for, for quite a long time, remarried, but still functionally a single parent within that um, within that context, but was also a physician, you know, was one of three, three women in her medical school class, which was still all white, which is interesting. Anyway, um, so I watched it from the get-go. Like I watched these things of like, that doesn't feel fair. I was the four-year-old on the phone answering like, hello, Ainsworth residents. And they'd be like, hi, sweetie, can I talk to you, to your daddy? And I'm like, sure. Or, or can I talk to Dr. Ainsworth? And I'd be like, you want the, the boy doctor or the girl doctor? And even at like four or five, people would be like, oh, it's your daddy, sweetie. I need to talk to Dr. Ainsworth. And I was like, no, do you want the boy doctor or the girl doctor? Right. And I was like, you boneheads, like, this is not a hard question. And so I think essentially that's been my the issue that gets to me all the way through. And I've worked at the edges of it and I've worked in different parts of it. And I just needed to say like, Hey, you know what? Like the world is in a different place, like companies and gender equity issues. And even like the generations of workers now are just in younger generations are in different. It's in a different place. It's more possible now. And I want to be in it. I want to be working on the periphery. So that's why. Yeah, that's great. Well, and like you said, you've you've been working around it, but now you're like, okay, I'm squarely going yep. after this. And one of the things that I kind of wonder about to you kind of hinted in this um, in an early exchange we had where, you know, one of the things I talk about with sustainable ambition is this idea of like right aspiration. And I think it's similar to a way that you might think about things like it's crafting a career that's defined by kind of your definition of success, you know, mm -hmm. work you love, mm -hmm. purpose driven, but also doing it on your terms that fits each Absolutely. stage of your life. And I'm curious if you could share a little bit more about how you've thought about that and how perhaps that's impacting how you're crafting your work for yourself mm -hmm. now, like something that is, um, you know, something you, you had said, like, I don't want to fully retire from, but it's doing it on my terms mm -hmm. that fit my phase of life. Right. I mean, the work I'm doing now, I honestly, I don't ever want to retire from it. Do I want to be able to like pick it up and take it with me if I'm lucky enough to be a grandma for somebody who lives across the country? Sure. Or like, you know, if I help my mom, my own aging mom back East move this summer, I love that I can take my work with me um, and do it as I'm helping her move out and move in and settle in. And I think, I, I think that at, um, I think that the, the decisions around that actually can be framed. I often frame them by like, what do I want to learn in this phase? Right. And, and not just, I mean, professionally, but also in my life, what do I want to, what do I want to learn? And then I can sort of design or seek out what kind of organization, what size, what type of role, what level of responsibility is going to help me learn those things. And, you know, at some phases, you know, there was a long phase when I was working in this big um, private cultural exchange and education company where I was like, I want to learn how to be a working parent. Like I, I haven't really done this before, right? And so I, I, it was a make or break in negotiation to take um, the job to say like, I do not work on Wednesdays. And they're like, why? No, 
We've never had a senior leader who's worked part-time. I was like, this is not part-time. This is definitely, and it really wasn't part-time, as you know. But I was like, I, I need Wednesdays to be with my family. And um, they didn't like it, but they went for it. And then, you know, that's the beauty of like, if you nail it with your numbers every time, because they came at that at least twice a year for seven years, right? And I was like, look, you keep giving me different divisions. I'm cleaning them up. They're doing well. Like, why do you care what the hours are specifically that I work? My team actually loves Wednesdays because I'm not in their face. They can do all their one-on-ones. They can actually have quiet work time. Um, and so instead of saying, like, I'm going to frame this as I only want to work part-time, I was framing that as I want to design my work so I get to learn how to do this other role in my life that I really value well, right? It's like no accident. Wednesday was was my play date day. I was like, I'm going to be efficient. I need to learn from all these other parents who are like pulling their hair out or laughing or, you know, talking about why no kids sleeping anymore. And they were my friends, right? Like you, you have to, you have to hold on to the parts of your life that anchor you so that your professional identity doesn't become your whole identity. Cause I don't, I fell into that trap once or twice and it's pretty hard to get out of. So many wise tips. I mean, I'm curious based on that. Cause one of the things I talk about with sustainable ambition is the importance of finding the place that's going to support you in achieving that. And yet that is not easy. And what you just shared is, you know, being able to ask for something and you supported it by delivering the goods, right? You, you if you weren't delivering the goods, that would have been a harder sell, a content, harder Absolutely. continual right. sell year after year. I'm curious if you have any advice for how people can influence their employers to create roles in a corporate life that allow for this better work-life integration. Yes. I mean, I do a lot of work around this issue, particularly on how to influence uh, workplaces to support caregivers of all types, parents and uh, family caregivers, but taken more broadly to like, how do you influence an employer to be a place where people can have a life, right? And a really exciting, big professional career. I, I increasingly think it is um, it is tied to what they ask of their managers and how they train their managers, what they talk to their managers about, what they put in their new manager training, what they put in their performance reviews. Um, because when you look even at companies that are great, there's some companies I've been talking to lately, and like they are checking all the boxes. They've got caregiving leave here and they've got extra backup care there. And hey, we can, you know, pay for your kids out school or help or whatever. Like, but there are especially women who are like, I still can't, I can't do it. And often this comes down to like the culture within a specific team, which is created by the manager and then the manager's manager. So I think um, the way you can influence that is to <laughs> get yourself on a good manager's team. Don't be so picky about what the work is, right? Because the kind of managers who care about your lived experience holistically also care that you're learning and excited. That's just the same person. 
And so you're going to develop professionally there. Um, I love it. It's like it comes back to the manager again, really doesn't it? I wish it was something easier because that's, you know, it's hard, right? Because you, you need them to be hired and trained and motivated and incentivized and promoted into managerial positions and all very um, thoughtful ways. But at the end of the day, the culture exists within the smallest team structure that exists. What I appreciate about that is also, and again, you did this yourself, which is that there's more power within that as well if you are a manager and you want to take the lead. Mm -hmm. And I know with with Workable Concept, you advise both individuals, you advise corporations, and well, as you advise leaders who want to build a world where employees with caregiving responsibilities can thrive. And I'm curious... um, because we're starting to come short on time, if you could give a couple of high-level tips for leaders, those managers who you said are so critical and they're, they might be listening to this conversation and they're like, well, I want that for myself. I also want to craft that for my right. team. What are a couple of pieces of advice you'd have for them? Um, again, I'll try to broaden it from just kind of the caregiver lens that I usually I do my, my work uh, mainly through. I think... Uh, Figuring out, finding out who is someone above you, someone kind of next to you in the organization and someone below you in the organization who are all kind of sort of safe people to have the conversation about, here's what I want it to feel like here. Here's what, here's where the sticking point is, you know, help me, help me brainstorm a a way around that. Because what you will find is sometimes it is actually because you're not thinking big enough, you're not thinking to ask for this, or you're not using something that's that's offered. Um, but particularly when you can do that kind of up and over, you're signaling, particularly if you know you're a good, you're like a high performance player, right? This is what needs to happen to keep people like me here. And I think that C-suite leaders and HR leaders, like they they really truly now care about walking the walk of their culture it is not perfect. I'm not a total Pollyanna, but it is so different than 20 years ago when I was in these conversations with HR leaders about like, why would you have on-site childcare? Like the, the number crunching ROI, show me how it's going to pay for itself mindset is, is gone. And um, people know that like their best employees are going to walk because they can even now in this economy. And so understand that you have some power and um, think about where you need to ask for permission and where you need to ask for forgiveness. Right? Like there's a lot you can do, particularly as a manager within your own team, that's much broader than what is actually sanctioned by the overall organization. I got my hand slapped a bunch of times for that. But you know what, like if the business is healthy and the attrition is low and your people are still working, I don't really care what you think. This is working. Um, yeah. Sorry. I love that, Heather. <laughs> I mean, there's such great advice there. No, and I think, you know, one of the things I really love about what you're describing is how, you know, as I've looked into and been studying leadership more recently, 
there's a philosophy of like, you can create culture at any level within an organization Mm -hmm. and you create the culture that you want. And what I'm taking away, but from what you're saying is we have more power than we think. And especially if you are a high performer that you, you can help shape and craft, not just only culture for yourself, for your team, and it will ripple out. And so I really appreciate that you're advocating for people to really speak up and ask for what they want. And sometimes don't ask and sometimes ask for ask. forgiveness I think later. That the, I will say what's really important about that and what I'm often doing in my work is, is like a translation. I'm a middle child, right? So I'm always the peacemaker. And uh, like asking, demanding what you need is very different than starting a conversation about, I see that this would be valuable for me, for the team, and for our organization. Can we have a conversation about how to see if we can make that happen? So just confrontation and complaint are like, I don't know, do that on your Twitter feed. I don't, don't take it to work. Um, but the, like, one of my my favorite boss ever, hands down. Uh, Ross used to constantly say, like, keep at it with pleasant persistence. And I rolled my eyes so far back, they went like all the way around. But I, you know, like, it works. It works, right? Yeah, I love that. Well, Heather, this has been such a great conversation. I could talk to you forever, um, and, but I need to let you go. Um, what can we do for you? Where can people find you? Uh, I would say, you know, if you're in an organization that wants to move either first step or, you know, thousandth step towards being supportive of all caregivers at all levels, check out workableconcept.com. And um, also, if you are if you're an individual who's like hitting the wall, particularly as a working caregiver of some type right now, feel free to reach out and um, we can brainstorm some tools and next steps. Like do not quit right now. That's my, that's my ask. Yeah, I appreciate that. And a great final piece of advice. So thanks so much, Heather, for being here. It's been wonderful to you talk too. with you. So fun. And what a great, great way to spend some time together. Thanks, Kath. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sustainable Ambition Podcast. I hope you take away at least one learning or inspiration from today's conversation. Find more inspiring interviews and get show notes for this episode at sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode or my insider tips, guides, and tools by signing up for Sustainable Ambition Forum, my twice-monthly newsletter. Sign up at sustainableambition.com slash subscribe. And remember, it's not about finding work-life balance. It's about building work-life resilience. Thanks again for joining me. Speak with you next time.